0: Hi, and welcome to Eating With Cancer, a podcast about how food and eating are impacted by cancer, where we sit down to candid conversations and seek integrative approaches to finding joy with food. I'm your host, Stephanie Myers, a registered dietitian and the nutrition manager in the Zekum Center for Integrative Therapies and Healthy Living at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. And I'm honored to have with me today my guest Jessica, a Dana-Farber patient whose experiences bring to light common issues people face with food and eating during cancer treatment, and Dan Gorman, a nurse practitioner and the director of the palliative care clinic at Dana-Farber. Thank you both for joining me today. Our focus today is how cancer and cancer treatment impact how you experience food and eating. And Jessica, I know this is uh, all too real for you right now, Um, So I'd love to just sort of invite you first to share what's been happening for you lately with food.
1: What is happening right now with food is, um, unfortunately, I am no longer on my first line of treatment. And through each line of treatment, there's um, different things that you can and cannot eat just because of the interactions or possible interactions with the drugs. And I say that to say the first medication I was on, there was a, um, an absolutely no grapefruit rule. Like, I could not have grapefruit. And that was interesting because when I was told I couldn't have grapefruit, all of a sudden, I wanted nothing more than just taking grapefruit, which I had to, again, say, like, just... Scale back here a second, because realistically, I may have eaten like two or three grapefruits a year, albeit I really liked to eat the grapefruit, but it wasn't something I went out of my way for. But because I was told, um, don't don't eat it, then I was just like, I, I, I really want to eat it. Um, another line of treatment, a possible side effect could be blood sugar and high blood sugar. So Um, self-admittedly, I've always had a sweet tooth, and I decided that my best way to gear up to start that treatment was to binge all the sugar I could before I had to kind of monitor and watch that, and I know that's not a good thing to do. It's not the right thing to do, and I tell others listening, like, don't do that, Um, but it was right around the time of my daughter's birthday, and I kind of had in in my mind of a picture of her with her first birthday and that classic cake smash where she had her own little cake for herself and we just had pictures taken of her just really going at that personal cake mm-hmm. and I I just imagined myself with that birthday cake and just like double fisting eating that cake face planting that cake just to get in all the sugar I can before I had to kind of be cautious and I know that's Super ridiculous, but that's just kind of again the mind is a powerful thing and where it took me. Um, I just recently started a new treatment, and there's not restrictions or concerns with what I eat on this one in terms of interactions. Um, however, what I found is it's always it's, it's always been a weird place for me and food during each of these treatments and how it's going to affect my body or affect, like, my appetite or my desire for food. And with this one, after treatment, I can't say I was really nauseous, but I felt kind of queasy, and the queasy would come on and off, and at times it was as simple as a smell of food or looking at food and sometimes just thinking of food. Um being offered something, like, you should probably eat, you want this or this, and it would just be like a turning of the stomach kind of a feeling, but that only really lasted um, a few days after my, fir- my first treatment, and today, it's been about a week since my last treatment, and I'm, I'm back to normal eating and really enjoying what I'm eating
0: today. Yeah. I, I, Jessica, I just, I want to just highlight what you're saying, which is that each of the different treatments that you've described for us just now had a different sort of, I'm using your term, weird place with food. It's sort of a different sort of thing that came up for you. And one of the other things that, so first of all, I just want to name that. I think that for listeners that this is a really common problem, right? This is a, yeah. Dan, is there anything you want yeah, to add? Yeah, there's so much.
2: I, I was thinking as she was talking, mm-hmm. but there's so much to kind of kind of unpack and add. So first of all, I think um, it, uh, food is, a, you know, it's not just the, the eating, it's the food is associated with events. So she beautifully described her one-year-old's birthday and, and the cake and like just picturing herself eating that cake. And I think that's often what food means to people. It's not just eating, it's the celebration of that with family, friends, I had a patient once, I, this always stuck with me years ago. He was really struggling with his eating, and I said, that it, it must be tough not being able to kind of go out and eat like he used to. And he said, well, it's not even the eating, it was the socialization, the being with my family, the fact that we went to a restaurant, it wasn't just the food, it was the event of being together as a family, And that aspect of it and frankly that everything sort of changes when you can't go and enjoy a meal It's really tough to sort of be in that moment So that that's another sort of piece of this that I just wanted to Mm -hmm. to mention and and, and Jessica probably Can relate to that the other thing I want to say is um, it's very common with certain chemotherapies and treatments that smells or visualization of certain foods can be very off-putting. And it's hard to really tell someone how to uh, navigate that except to say, if there is something that really is off-putting, stay away from that. And gravitate to sort of what you like, assuming you're not getting an aversion to that. And also, try not to put pressure on yourself to sit down and say, okay, I normally can eat a big piece of lasagna I want to eat that lasagna, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel good. My family wants me to eat. That's another big thing here is families want you to eat. And we tell people, look, if you like the lasagna, have a couple of bites of the lasagna. If you like, you know, graze a little bit, snack a little bit. You're not, it's not realistic to think you're sitting, sitting down and you're going to be able to consume that whole plate. And I think sometimes sharing that with your loved ones is really helpful to say, look, I'm probably not gonna want to eat exactly how I did before. Be patient with me because it's not you, it's not your cooking. it's It just doesn't have the same appeal for me right now. Yeah. Does that sort of make sense?
0: As, as a dietitian, it, it resonates with everything I hear. And Jessica, from your perspective, we're, um, I'd love to invite your thoughts there.
1: Absolutely. Um, that 100% really nails now- um, that kind of relationship with food and even an appetite and just letting people know, communicating with your loved one. For me, my, my husband, um, and, you know, he would offer me food, but he never forced the issue. He would say, you know, maybe you should try eating. Would you like um, to try this or would you like to try that? And sometimes I would say, you know what, I'm going to give this a try or, oh, yeah, that really sounds good. And other times I would just – you know, have that open, honest conversation and say, you know what, right now I am not feeling anything. Um and he was really respectful of that and just offered, but also gave me my space and understood where I might be with, you know, how I was how I was feeling or eating or not eating. So having that conversation, and keeping your loved ones informed and, you know, just opening yourself up, knowing that You know, I I didn't fear offending my husband or upsetting my husband, and and he he did the same. He always just kind of offered because of, of love, right, of love, and he wants to take care of me out of love, but he was never like, here, eat this, or with the spoon in his hand, open your mouth, but he was always just kind of looking out like, do you want to try something? Is there anything I can maybe get for you or make for you, anything I can buy for you that you might be kind of,
2: um, interested in. Yes. You know, it's interesting she said, uh, you know, out of love, and, and I think in many cultures, right, food is an expression of love, love is an expression through food. Mm-hmm. And in some, some cultures, right, eating is like, I want to feed you. That's how I want to show you I care and love you. And it can be sort of difficult for family members, too, who want to see you eat and want to express their love and concern and affection through food. So I think, again, the communication, Um, is helpful so that they also can understand, it's not you,
0: (laughs) it's just where I'm at Absolutely. and what I
2: can do and what I can eat.
0: I couldn't agree more, Dan. I think for the caregivers, care partners, friends, family support network of patients who are listening right now, just what Dan and Jessica are saying is that the love, the intent, the inspiration for why you're in the kitchen making a beautiful, wonderful meal that smells great to you it, it's not anything against you that sometimes those things are just not something a person is able to put down during treatment. Right. In fact, I have many clients over the years who will come to the family table, even though their loved one has chosen a smaller plate and put a smaller portion of lasagna for them, their decision-making around what works for them is to not even bother with trying to eat at those mm-hmm. moments, but to come with a cup of tea. hmm or uh, uh, you know uh, anything that bring, makes them feel like they're participatory, or allows them to feel participatory without it necessarily having to do with the food. If it's if it's really difficult at that time.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think the experience of meal time and family time and gathering is still important, even if you can't participate in what is prepared. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just being there with a cup of tea, maybe. know maybe they were eating a big meal but you you know you're in the mood for a half a tuna sandwich that's okay yes
0: exactly Uh, exactly as
2: long as you're sort of participating
0: i also wanted to just back up to that conversation that jessica you brought up that imagery of you and your daughter and her one year birthday and and that the notion that there is like a good or right and i just wanted to speak to that because it really is at the heart of sort of what we're about on this particular podcast is how can you as an eater in the midst of cancer maintain um, that sense of joy. You know, you describe sort of double fisting it, getting into that cake with your daughter, not omitting that moment from your life for the fear that it could, you know, sugar is a bad thing for you. This is really the you being empowered to continue making decisions about your eating life that bring you joy, that bring you delight. And that, that's something, when we talk today about how do you find joy? How do you reclaim delight at the table if you can't look at food, if food smells awful to you, if thinking of food, just the notion of thinking of food is difficult? So I actually wanna have us transition to that now for listeners and family members who are really in the thick of it right now with these challenges with food. What are some of the things that you would recommend? um, Dan, we can start with you. For patients and care providers, you've mentioned a lot of them. If you wanna sort of summarize, what are the things you think People should be thinking about if they're struggling with food right now what's important
2: well you, you know certainly <laughs> staying with more you know blander type things that are not going to invoke a real like aversion if you will you know often avoiding very spicy things or very high fat things which you know for folks who are really experiencing nausea or have, uh, you know maybe have uh, prone to more constipation or things like that certain foods can Make that worse. So, kind of staying more neutral. Uh, again, s- the, the the real take home, and we say this in oncology all the time, is smaller, more frequent. So, kind of snacking, kind of grazing, small things. Keep something in your stomach, but you know, to sit down and eat a big meal is probably not realistic. Supplement if you need to supplement. Some people do enjoy taking smoothies or things uh, that can also be. Um, good with protein and calories and just an easy way to get something in. And that's fine. Some people say that's filling and they feel very full. I will say there are sometimes medications we think about to help people if they're having early satiety, for example, they feel very full. Um, Sometimes there's medications that we can use that help with a little bit of nausea, but also help with gastric emptying, such as Reglan or metaclopramide. So I often will use that with patients who say, you know, I take three bites and I am full. So we think about that. Um, Sometimes people who are on steroids, low dose steroids, maybe someone's on dexamethasone as part of their regimen or someone just has no appetite. There are medications we use to help stimulate appetite. Sometimes steroids can be used. We're very careful about use of steroids long-term. We have to think about the medications that they're on, the chemotherapy, are they on immunotherapy, things like that. And I'll
0: just offer as well, um, the again, theme around what Dan is saying is that the more open and willing you are to talk with your provider about your direct experiences with food, the hopefully the more help you'll get, the more direction and guidance they can offer you. So there's no reason to not ask these questions, right? To the best of your ability. And and as Jessica said, if you're able to, bringing a care partner uh, along with you to help sort of think of where the questions might want to go or need to go. And also just hear the message that there really are options out there that we can use medically as well as options like we've already described, you know, working with an oncology specialist in, in the nutrition field who can help you modify foods, meals, recipe ideas, not just for their nutritional content, but with your enjoyment preferences in mind. So Jessica, I'm curious, as you live this day to day, going through difficulties and challenges with food, what is something you would recommend? What's your advice for our listeners?
1: So first I would give the disclaimer that everybody you know, is different. We don't all have the same backgrounds or the same goals or the same interests. So finding what works and what's best and what's comfortable for each individual. For me, um, I feel like often the stages of grief are talked about like a clean cycle. For me, it was the stages of grief or rather the stages of processing, stages of processing my diagnosis and my prognosis. Um, And I'm a very visual person. So for me, I, you know, pictured it as a ball of yarn that, that the cycle you know, it, it's it's wound up like, like a ball of, of yarn, like just tight, clean, and you you go just around and around. But my stages of processing, as I call it, was more like the remnants left after a cat had gotten hold of that ball of yarn. There were just frayed strands going this way and that way and back again, some of them torn in pieces, and that was – the place um, where I decided I just really needed to give myself grace and not grief because I really had to climb and scratch and crawl out of that darkness of diagnosis because I felt that I deserved better. And more importantly for me, I also felt that my husband and my children deserved better than that darkness of diagnosis so giving grace and not grief was really understanding that the the stages of processing although it was messy and different moments I don't even say different days sometimes it was just moments within the days would look different just giving yourself grace and not grief and having the flexibility and understanding that sometimes what works might not always work or sometimes what your appetite is able to tolerate or what you're interested in for food it might not always stay that way but being able to be flexible and just you know working with your your yourself as well as working with your whole team and working with your family to find out in moment by moment what can i do now and it was like a so what now what um mentality and I don't say so what now what dismissively I say like so what as in if this is what I'm presented with if this is what is going on now what am I going to do about it because I've always been goal-oriented I've always been an action planner so if I'm not really having much of an appetite with food, but I know I, I need the sustenance, sustenance. I need the nutrition. I need, you know, I need to feed my body. What am I going to do to, to help work toward that goal so that I could have, you know, the, the best outcome in that moment. And that was really the commitment I made to, you know, my family, myself, my support network, because I, I, decided I was going to um, refute the idea of dying of cancer. And I really, with such deepened intentionality, committed to living with it, Mm -hmm. living with cancer and living my best life with cancer. And part of that was just giving myself grace and not grief. And I adopted the mantra of my best may look different each day, But each day I give my best. And I think that's just really important. My best may look different each day, but each day I give my best. And that just comes from that place of giving myself grace, not grief, and just figuring out if this is what is happening right now in my treatment, in my care, in my life, what can I do to have the most positive or the most intentional or the most advantageous or the most happiest outcome?
2: So, yeah, listening to to Jessica really brings out a, a lot of thoughts in terms of how we as palliative care providers can help in situations like this, because I think oftentimes people misunderstand what palliative care is. And what I think Jessica said so beautifully and, and the paraphrase is that she, you know her goal is to to live her best life, and that's exactly what we want in palliative care. Our goal is to work with you to achieve your goals and to live your best life. Whether that's dealing with a a, a symptom such as pain that's not well controlled, or maybe you have persistent nausea or you're struggling with food, these are the things. These are just aspects of how we could help you think out of the box sometimes, work with your your oncological team, your dietitians, and think through together what's important to you and how do we help you meet that as best we can. That is the essence of, of palliative care. So I just wanted to add that because I think this is very important for the audience to know is that we can be helpful in these situations.
0: Yes, and and not only are you helpful, this is an entirely separate resource. You know, in particular, your role as the director of palliative care at Dana-Farber, the patients who may feel like they're getting some help in these uh, buckets, if we will, right, with pain management or with mm-hmm. food or with psychosocial things, this your job is really sort of the uh taking a really uh, a bird's eye view like getting the landscape of the whole thing and bringing everyone together so that the 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 experience that jessica described of really feeling like there is this whole person-centered care that's the per that's the point
2: right uh sort of the net underneath if you will to try to catch yeah. the things that might fall from time to time yeah. but really to work with the the individual as to understanding what's important to them and helping them obtain that, obtain their goals and live their best life.
0: Mm. And Jessica, I mean, I think there's, the things that you have said, I think really resonate. It's, It's messy, right? It's not gonna look a certain way. There's not a perfect meal plan. There is meeting the moment you're in as an eater and recognizing, I love what you're saying about your your best will look different every day. Your plate will look different every day. Your cup, your bowl, it will look different every day. And just staying in the moment, um, recognizing that that is all, all that we all that we can do as eaters is is stay in the moment and and um, breathe with that. Right. I just want to thank you so much for your candidness and your willingness to share. Really, um, not only how this is. Started at the start of your journey, but sort of how things are evolving and changing and how you continue um, as you go through this process to, to that, that ball of yarn image, really. I'm, I'm recognizing that you're taking one bite at a time and you're being really kind with, to the best of your ability, giving yourself the grace and, and not a hard time about how eating is going. So thank you both, Jessica, Dan, these are the wisdom and insight you've shared is so very, so very helpful. And thank you to each person listening right now I'm Stephanie Myers with the Zekum Center at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Until next time, be well.